Have you ever heard the following phrase, no good deed goes unpunished? That's one of the uh, Hall of Fame phrases that my mom has used my whole life. I've heard it all the time. No good deed goes unpunished. Well, what does that mean? Well, it's a tricky little phrase, uh, but I have scoured the globe of idioms. I have looked for historic help, and I think I have got a bit of an explanation that I think will be helpful for us. To say that no good deed goes unpunished is basically kind of a sarcastic way of saying sometimes even when you do the right thing, you get punished. Sometimes when you do the right thing, it still doesn't work out the way you thought it would. For example, imagine that I'm at a, a big community banquet and I've already gone through the big line, the buffet line and got all my food and I'm sitting at the table and the person sitting next to me, we're through the meal and they look up and they go, oh, you know what, I, I didn't get any dessert. Now, naturally, there's no way in the world that I would have not gotten dessert. And so, I mean, I, I have my cake right there. So I said, hey, you know what, why don't you take my chocolate cake and I'm just going to go back up there and get another. Oh, no, 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 really. Look, you eat this cake. I can go get some steps in and work some of this food off. It's fine. And I'll, I'll go get some more cake. And so I go and I walk up to the cake table, to the dessert table, to discover a lady standing there. And she says, sir, I'm so sorry. We are out of desserts. No good deed goes unpunished. I'm, I'm doing a nice thing. I'm being really kind. And there ain't no cake for Dow when I get over there. It's not good. And that's probably a bad illustration because the reality is if I go to a banquet and I miss out on dessert, I'm just getting in the car and going to Freddy's afterwards, you know. I mean, I'm going to get me a big frozen custard with, you know, cookie dough and butterscotch swirl, and I'm fine, you know. So maybe that wasn't the best example. But no good deed goes unpunished. What if we could flip the script? What if there was a way for every single deed to never be punished? What if there was a way for, for every good deed to always be rewarded? Is there such a way? Absolutely. What is it? Well, let's see if we can find out together. We finished our series last Sunday, 7G, the speed you need. But I got a little more speed in me, so we are moving from 7G to 7G Plus this Sunday uh, in the 7G Plus series, and we've been taking uh, a, a theme from the Bible that begins with the letter G, and so this week we will continue, and our theme today is good. Our message is simply titled, Good. Mary and Joseph, after Bethlehem, they had some more kids and we will be turning our attention to the letter from James, the half-brother of Jesus, looking at James chapter 2, verse 14. This is what James writes. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? What use is it? Some of your Bibles say, what good is it? What good is it to say you have faith and yet not have works. What does it mean to say that you have faith? There's a story told about a, a pastor who was walking through an interesting part of town one night. And this guy came up, pulled out a knife on him and said, give me all your money, buddy. And the pastor said, hey, man, you don't want to do this. I'm, I'm a Baptist minister. The guy put down his knife. He goes, hey, I'm a Baptist too, man. This is great. Fantastic. 
See, sometimes talk is, is cheap. It, it doesn't measure up. And that can be especially true when you're talking about having faith in God. Saying you have faith in God does not necessarily mean that you have faith in God. There is saying faith and there is saving faith. What is true, genuine, saving faith? Is it just believing facts about Jesus? Is it just being involved in a, in a local church? Is it just kind of saying that you have faith? Is, is that all that it takes? James seems to be setting up a kind of a compare and contrast here. He's saying there's a one side of faith, a kind of faith, if you will, that, that can talk the talk, right? Hey, I'm a born-again Christian. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm saved. You, you can say it. You know, I'm, I'm a believer. I believe in Jesus. And there's another kind of faith that walks the walk. You know, I'm a Christian. Look at my deeds in life. Look, look at what I do in life. But James is pulling us toward something completely different. He's pulling us not toward two different kinds of faith, but one faith, faith that walks and talks. One day Jesus was teaching and he said this in Matthew chapter 7, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, that person will enter. In other words, Christianity, by definition, is a saying and doing faith. It is a talking and walking faith, by definition. And that's why James is calling into question this whole idea of talking only faith. He's saying, how can you just say that you have faith? It's saying faith, but is it saving faith? See, saving faith is not just agreeing with facts about Jesus. Saving faith is taking those facts and defining your life by those facts. Taking the facts about Jesus and incorporating them into every part of who you are. Your family, your marriage, your parenting, your kids, your job, your education, your vacation, every part of the facts about Jesus become a part of who you are because you are committing yourself to the person of Jesus. When someone gets married, they're not just committing themselves to the idea of marriage. They are committing themselves to a certain specific person. It's not just a general thought. It is a specific action, a specific promise a specific commitment to a specific person on another day jesus was teaching and he said this in luke chapter 9 if anyone wishes to come after me he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me the importance is very clear there jesus is calling a person to himself come to me come to me follow me follow me you see, to follow after Jesus Christ is not primarily a call to a religion. It's not primarily a call to a denomination. It's not primarily a call to a certain church or a certain church leader. All those things are, are part of it. But the primary call of following Jesus is a call to the person of Jesus. 
to commit yourself, to rest in, to believe in, to trust in, to rely on, to cling to the person of Jesus Christ as your ultimate and only source of salvation and hope and satisfaction. Saving faith is this intentional, precious look to the person of Jesus. Saving faith looks at Jesus and the work of the cross, considers what God has done through Jesus. It's not just a story. It's this moment in history where Jesus, for six hours one Friday, gave his life up out of love for us. And you look at that and you say, I believe in that. I mean, I understand all of it, but I I believe in that. But that's what I need. I believe in the cross. In fact, if I don't believe in the cross, I've got no hope. I've, got no, I've looked to other people to rescue me, and, and it won't work. The only hope I have is, is in Jesus. So yeah, I believe that. God, here I am. Save me. Make me yours. And when a person's heart makes that kind of commitment, they can't just like go back to watching TV. There's something that that changes. Something moves. See, saving faith is a saying and doing faith. It is a walking and talking faith. It is words and it is works. It's all of it. All of it together. Now, let me take a moment just to say this. There's some people that say that what James is saying here is in conflict with things that the Apostle Paul said elsewhere in the Bible. In the letter to the church at Rome, Paul was very clear in a lot of different ways that you cannot be saved by your works. And here James is saying, well, you know, your your faith is not enough. You gotta gotta have some works. So is there conflict here? Is there a problem? What, What gives? Well, what gives is the context of what we're doing, what where we're at. It's always important when you're reading a verse in the Bible to figure out what neighborhood that, that verse lives in. You know? What's the address of this verse? What's the neighborhood of verses around it? What's it talking about? For instance, kind of in a, in a practical way, imagine that I were to buy some, you know, a gift for somebody and when it was you know, stone-cut organic grits. And I send this bag of grits to someone in the South and they're going to get it and go, hey, yeah, breakfast tomorrow, all right. But what if I were to send that same gift bag of, of stone-cut organic grits to somebody in the Yukon in Canada? You know, They may think, ah, I guess I'm supposed to throw this out in the driveway on the ice. You know, Put it on the sidewalk somewhere. You know? Context matters. What's happening and who's involved, all of that matters. So Paul, when he's writing about how your works don't save you, he's writing to the church at Rome. And what the church at Rome was doing was saying, hey, look at our good works. Man, look how many times my, my name, you know, shows up in the, in the church printing, you know. Oh, I did this and I did that. I got a plaque at the church with my name on it, you know. Look at all these things that I'm, I'm doing in the community. Look, look at all these wonderful things that I'm doing for the glory of God. And they were saying, hey, you know what? It is all about our works. That's what salvation is about. And Paul said, no, y'all are missing it. It's, it's not works. You're, you're living on works and you're ignoring faith. James, on the other hand, he's writing to people that they were building everything on their profession of faith. You know, there's a, hey, I, I prayed the sinner's prayer. 
I shook pastor's hand. I got baptized. I'm, I'm good. I'm set, you know. They were doing everything by faith alone or, or saying faith, their profession of faith alone with no works. So it's two different neighborhoods, two different groups of people, two different conflicts, but the same conflict ultimately. Somebody put it this way. Paul and James are not soldiers of different armies fighting against each other. They're soldiers of the same army fighting back-to-back against enemies coming from opposite directions. It's always true. It's always a a both-and. It's rarely an either-or. And so there's no conflict in the Bible, or especially between Paul and James, over faith. It's very clear. In fact, Paul even wrote almost the exact same words that James wrote when he was writing a letter to Titus. Titus chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says, They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him. So they had a profession of faith in Christ, but their life canceled out their profession of faith. There there was no evidence that they were actually following the person of Jesus. They just said that they were following the purpose of the person of Jesus. You know, they're mugging people, but they're saying they're Baptists. You know, there was inconsistency. Things didn't match up. I was reading an article a few years back by somebody named Brandon Clements, and, and he was writing about the difference in a profession of faith and a possession of faith. And he said, back in the day, people, if their country was at war with another country, they depended on the messengers. The messengers were how they got the news. And so a messenger would come to their village, their city, their town, and they'd have some news, and the news would either be good or the news would be bad. Brandon puts it like this. If it was bad news, it might sound like this. Run for your life. Certain death is coming with the other nation's army because our army is lying dead on the battlefield. They are coming to kill and pillage us all. Run for your life. This, this isn't make-believe. This actually happened in history. People in their village waited for the messenger, and the messenger came and said, run, run. Or the messenger could come with good news. And the good news, Brandon said, might sound like this. The battle has been won. The blood of our soldiers has purchased your freedom. You won't be killed. You are free, relax, and enjoy the victory that's been won for you. And he described the the villagers sitting on pins and needles, waiting for the messenger to come. What's the news going to be? Because whatever the news was, that's life. Their existence depended on what the messenger would say. Everything hung on that message. So you can imagine when it was good news that came. You can imagine when the the good news came that they were going to be okay, that, that they were free. Here's the thing, dear Christian. Your news ultimately is always good. Always. I don't care what the doctor says tomorrow. I don't care what the news says this afternoon. I don't care who grumbles about something at lunch after church today. No matter what you hear, if you are in Christ, your news is always ultimately good. Why? How? This is how Brandon described it. 
The blood of another has purchased your freedom. Breathe easy. Death is no longer your fate. If you profess to know Jesus, that is yours. It's yours. Didn't some line from the preacher in the stained glass window church on Sunday morning, it is the truth of your life. Death is no longer your fate. Breathe easy. That's what it means to be in Christ. Brandon goes on to say, can your heart heave a when you hear of the religious pressure and religious performance that you've been freed from by the blood of Jesus. If your heart can't heave like that, you might have sane faith, but not saving faith. Saving faith reminds us that it is only through Christ. Grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There's no other way. But now someone might be thinking, hey, look, I, I don't want to hear any of this work stuff. Hey, buddy, I'm, I'm born again. I'm under the blood. So I'm free. I'm free to do whatever I want. I'm good. I got my ticket. All right, let's set that next to the words of Jesus. Someone may say, hey, I'm born again. I'm under the blood. I'm free to do whatever I want. But Jesus said, take up your cross and deny yourself. See, that's like cutting up a banana for breakfast and you put it on a plate and you sprinkle some cinnamon and you put some turmeric on it, some Italian seasoning. Yeah. I mean, you can do that, but, but that stuff doesn't go together, right? Doing whatever you want and denying yourself, they don't go together. You see, the call of a, a Christian is completely different. Not bad different, great different. We get to breathe easy because death is no longer our fate. But our faith is different. Jeff Thomas says this, we are saved through faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. It is always zealous to do good works. Zealous, great word. You, you are zealous like you really, really, really want to do things for the glory of God. You do. Now, we won't always perfectly do that, right? We can't. We can't perfectly do everything in life for the glory of God. But faith, true faith, saving faith, it wants to. There's some zeal to do all for the glory of God. And in fact, when we fail to do all to the glory of God, when we fall down and we sin, when we mess up, we get back up again. And we get back up quick as possible. And we get back in and we go, okay, I need some more zeal. I need to, to keep fueling my zeal for the glory of God. In other words, you won't completely bail on reading your Bible. You won't completely bail on praying. You won't completely bail on church. Now there's this zeal. And I say completely because we will bail, right? We're prone to wander, as we sang. Our moments will come. 
We'll, we'll have those moments when, when we just can't seem to pull it all together. But what we will do in that moment is we'll be like the father that came to Jesus that day. And he said, Jesus, I believe. Help my unbelief. In other words, Jesus, I believe in you, but there's some stuff I don't understand. There's some stuff I'm struggling with. Help my unbelief. Help the things I can't do the math on. Saving faith can be struggling faith. We're going to struggle. But saving faith cannot be false faith. And it's false faith that James seems to be talking about with this next question. Listen to verse 14. Can that faith save him? Can can a faith that says it has faith but there's no works, can, can that faith save that person? Can the faith that does not consistently breathe easy, that death is no longer their fate, is is that true saving faith? Or maybe let's just make everything super uncomfortable for a minute, okay? If looking at the gas pump every single time and imploding every single time, is that true saving faith? If looking at the political landscape in our nation and every single time imploding, just completely imploding over all of it, is that true saving faith? If looking at every practical and and technological change that happens in the world and just completely imploding over how much you hate or how much you don't want it to be that way, is that true saving faith? If sin in your marriage or sin in a a dating relationship just consistently happens and and you just ignore it and blow it off and and say it's no big deal, is that true saving faith? If spending hours and hours and hours watching Fox News or or TikTok or playing Candy Crush or, or playing Halo 99 combat, you know, Uncombatable. I don't know all these words. I, if all of these hours and hours and hours of screen time and phone time and, and, and even just radio time, all of this, and we're downloading and we're downloading and we're downloading, but we spend very little time with God. Does that look and sound like true saving faith? Listen, we're all going to have our moments where we lose it, all right? And it might be at the gas pump. It might be over something with politics. We're going to have our moments. We're not perfect. And we're going to have those days where we're going to sit in our good chair and now we're going to pull out a bag of munchos and some buffalo chicken dip and, and we're just going to binge watch, you know, Empty Nest or Simon and Simon or, or McLeod or whatever, whatever your show is. You know, we're, we're just going to veg out. You know, it's, it's going to happen. But again, as believers, what we're always doing is saying, hey, when you peel away the layers, who am I really? Is there saving faith underneath the moments? One theologian said that James is basically asking this, can the faith that you say you have truly save you? That's that's the question, right? Because we can say all day that we're Baptists, but if we spend all day mugging people, it doesn't really matter. We can say all day that we have faith. 
But James is saying if there's, if there's no works to match with the faith, are we just saying we have faith or do we have saving faith? Are you just wishing on a, on a Southern Baptist star? Are you just wishing on a, a Presbyterian star? You're wishing on a Methodist star, wishing on a, a Catholic star, wishing on an atheistic star. You're just wishing on some religious star and just kind of hoping everything's going to work out in the end. True saving faith, according to all that we see in the Bible, is by faith alone, through grace alone, and Christ alone. All of it is, is wrapped up in Jesus, but that faith is not alone it is zealous for good works it's zealous to be kind to christians at church it is zealous to be kind to mean lost non-christians who've never been to church it's zealous to be patient with teenagers if you're a senior adult it's zealous to be patient with senior adults if you're a teenager. It's zealous to serve people that are like us, serve people we like, and it is zealous to serve your enemy. I mean, this is the teaching of the Bible. It's the example that Jesus set. Zealous to do things that seem odd to us. For years and years, I've always laughed. I was like, look, there is no church that's not full of conflict. Every church I've ever known about or hear about, have been a part of, there's always conflict. But there is a really important thing that we should do as Christians when there's conflict in the church. It doesn't mean we should ignore sin by any means. But most conflict in the church is usually selfish, petty, and arrogant. And so there's something that we need to do. If you have kids, you've learned this from the penguins of Madagascar, sometimes you just need to smile and wave. Smile and wave, boys, smile and wave. Sometimes it's the most important thing you can do because you know why that person that's angry, they ain't gonna listen to you. They're not. That person that's upset, they're, they're not gonna listen to you. And that's not even in church. You know, that's at your house too. Sometimes the most important thing you can do is smile and wave. Why? Because sometimes smiling and waving is the most zealous thing you can do for the glory of God. Faith alone is never alone. It always has this zeal, this zeal for Jesus. Not just the idea of Jesus, but the person of Jesus. Listen, over the last few weeks, I have interacted with a number of people that are really struggling to even believe in God. And, and some of you have people like that in your life. Um, there's a lot of stories out there of, of professing Christians that are abandoning the faith. So whatever math you're struggling with right now, whatever it is about God that you can't quite figure it out, whatever places in the Bible you don't quite understand, whatever uh, issue in culture uh, seems to be one of those issues that people just say, well, Christians are hateful and awful about. Whatever anger or abuse or, or apathy you experienced in your home, whatever it may be, can I just plead with you to turn your eyes upon the person of Jesus? Because there is no perfect parent, no perfect pastor, no perfect politician, no perfect church. You're wasting your time looking for it. 
But there is a perfect Savior. There is a, a perfect person, Jesus the Christ. Turn your eyes upon him. Whatever you don't understand, do everything you can to believe in him and then ask God for help with the unbelief. But turn your eyes upon Jesus over and over and over again. Why? Because in Christ, you can breathe easy. In Christ, death is no longer your fate. This is a promise from the very throne of heaven. Consider this truth. A person can only be saved by works. A person can only be saved by works. Now what you're thinking, bless his heart, I think he hit his head on the flux capacitor when he came back into time here. He, he has no idea what he's talking about. Spent this whole sermon saying that, you know, it's not by works, it's by faith. And, and now he's saying it's, it's by works. Yeah, I didn't hit my head. I, I didn't stutter. Your ears aren't flapping. I promise it is exactly what I meant to say. Every single person that is ever saved is only saved by works. The work of the virgin birth of Jesus the work of the cross of Jesus, the work of the empty tomb of Jesus, the work of the second coming of Jesus. Every person is only saved by the works of Jesus. Jeff Thomas says this, our faith did not obey God's law. Our faith did not die for us. Our faith did not rise from the dead. Every single person in heaven will be there only because of the good works of the Lord Jesus Christ. So cling to the good works of Jesus Christ. Cling to the work of the cross. Cling to the work of the empty tomb. Cling to the good work of our great Savior, Jesus Christ. And after you cling, then do good works for the glory of Jesus. Do good works for the glory of God. Do good works unto other people so that God would be famous and that he would get attention and that people might discover in Jesus what it means to breathe easy. We have the ability to help others by the grace of God discover what it means to breathe easy. Last Sunday, I told you about my new cameraman friends that I met at the Passion Conference in Atlanta back in January, uh, Alexi and Marco, and uh, just uh, what an impact they had on my life just from the kindness of, of how they served in, in such a tremendous way. And Alexi uh, texted me, uh, I think it was Monday, he had listened to last Sunday's message. I had told them, hey, you guys are going to be in the sermon. And so Alexi sent me a text back and, and just uh, uh, was telling me how much he, he enjoyed the message and and then he said, oh yeah, and by the way, he said um, something interesting happened at our church this weekend. They, they run the cameras at, at their church um, there in Atlanta. And he said, in the middle of the service, all of a sudden, all the power went out. Like we completely lost power. He said the only thing that, that was on uh, was the emergency lights. And, and he sent me a video of what happened when the power went out. And before you watch the video, I didn't hear it. I just want to say, what happened before the power went out 
and what happened after the power out went out was the same thing. They didn't miss a beat. They just kept worshiping. Listen to what happens. No one freaked out. No one got mad. No one left. No one got afraid. They just kept singing, You are good, good. Oh. Listen, the lights are going to go out. We're fools if we think the lights are not going to go out. The lights are going to go out. Something bad is going to happen. Something wrong is going to happen. Something frustrating is going to happen. Change is going to come that we don't like for all of us of all ages, our whole lives. But when the lights go out, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ will never go out. It will be as bold and as bright as it has ever been. And we should take great hope in that truth. We should look at all of the moments of life and say, you know what, no matter what happens, there's this thing that I heard about that said no good deed goes unpunished. But as a believer, that phrase will never apply to me. Why? Because in Christ, every good deed is rewarded. How? Because death is no longer our fate. Listen. Faith and works, they're together. Saving faith walks and talks do good but it's not just about doing good it's not even about being good it's about seeing the one who is eternally good dear Christian today tomorrow three weeks from now on the best day of your life and on the last breath of your life breathe easy because he is good he is good